Thank you for checking out the Christian Church of Clarendon Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. We invite you to stop by www.ccch.org to find out more about our church and to make plans to visit us on a Sunday morning. So I first heard that song when our 13-year-old daughter, Jordan, and I went to see the Lego movie, and I loved it so much, I said, I am so using that for like the video bumper when we start the flipped sermon series, and Jordan, in classic seventh grade fashion, says to me, Dad, please don't. (laughs) And she also doesn't know that I just told you that, but hey, this is the start of our new message series that we're calling Flipped, and it's all about the upside-down countercultural ways and message of Jesus that come straight out of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Bible. And if you want to, just right now, go ahead and grab your Bible or Bible and seat back, your digital device, however you want to do this. It's on page 785 in the Bibles in the seat back. This discourse that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount is one that in every way had the people that were the original audience saying things like, wow, that's unbelievable, super cool, outrageous, amazing, phenomenal, fantastic, so incredible, Woohoo! those are the kinds of things that they said after hearing this, and I'm hoping those are the things that we will say as well as we listen to the words of Jesus, because that's the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to spend the bulk of the remainder of 2019 exploring its meaning together, and as we do, we're going to see that Jesus takes things that we think are just so regular and understood and believable in our culture today and he just flips them upside down in these outrageous ways and when we experience what he's talking about uh, we begin to live more purposeful impactful and world changing so let's set the stage for the sermon on the mount and to do that we need to go back into matthew chapter I know the Sermon on the Mount starts in chapter 5, and if you have a Bible that has red letters for the words of Jesus, you see three whole chapters, it's just solid red letters, all words of Jesus. But we need need us to go back into chapter 4 for a moment. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus emerges from the desert in his showdown with Satan, where he's been tempted greatly, and then he makes an announcement. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then the last paragraph of that same chapter says this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region across the Jordan followed him. So here's Jesus, and he's proclaiming something, the good news he's proclaiming of the kingdom. That's his message, the good news of the kingdom. And that line is so key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to spend just a little bit of background moment here on it before we get into the actual words of Jesus from his sermon. The good news is that Now, through Jesus, through his life, through what he's eventually going to do on the cross, based on where we are in his life history here, in when the Sermon on the Mount was preached. So what he brings through him, through his life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, and through us being able to be in relationship with him, what he's doing is he's bringing God's presence and power to earth for all of us and saying that this is absolutely available to you. 
Anybody who wants it can have it through him, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the good news of the kingdom because Jesus was the kingdom bringer. His one message was the radical accessibility and the real availability of the kingdom. His whole life was to model the kingdom. His whole ministry was to display the kingdom. His whole mission was to offer the kingdom. His great mandate was to pursue the kingdom. As we're going to see in his sermon a little later as we get to it, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. So to be in Christ or to be in a relationship with Jesus is actually to be in the kingdom, to be in God's presence and power and to be in his favor. And this is what, this is the good news that makes the Sermon on the Mount so special and so true. As we're going to see as we get ahead, I don't want to steal all Jesus' thunder just yet, but the reason when Jesus tells us you can turn the other cheek when somebody strikes you on one cheek is because you live now in a kingdom where justice is ultimately assured and you'll win because of God. The reason you don't need to worry about tomorrow is because tomorrow, your tomorrow is in the hands of the king. And the reason you can store up treasure in heaven through your generosity is because the abundance of heaven belongs to God the king and his kingdom. And all of this because Jesus, the kingdom bringer, is here. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the good news of the kingdom. And I really like the way that John Ortberg explains this. I'm going to use this as kind of a refrain throughout the message this morning. The good news of the kingdom, like in really simple terms, is that up there has come down here. Up there has come down here. God's kingdom has come here and invaded our world. Up there has come down here, which is like the most audacious claim in human history. So as we listen together to the Sermon on the Mount, we're quickly going to see this isn't just good advice. It isn't just a call to be nice. It's really a manifesto of what life looks like when up there comes down here and we embrace it ourselves. It is unbelievable, super cool, outrageous, amazing, phenomenal, fantastic, so incredible, all those things and more. It absolutely flips the order of the world upside down. It takes word on the street. It takes backyard wisdom. It takes the rules of success and how to succeed and get ahead, the guidebook on how to be the leader of the pack, all those kinds of things, and just turns them all on their head and confronts them in this amazing way. So with that as a backdrop, let's see what Jesus actually says in the Sermon on the Mount. You game? You want to see what he says? All right, a little more enthusiasm. You game? You want to see what he says? All right, let's do it. I'm pretty pumped about this. I have not preached straight through the Sermon on the Mount since like 2001. So I kind of feel like a caged tiger, like to unleash this. So uh, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, like who's in the crowds? Well, we read that a little bit ago. The ill, the disease-ridden, the the demon-possessed, the down and out, okay? So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we hear that word blessed, I don't don't know what what you think, but a lot of people, when they hear the word blessed, they just think rich. Oh, so-and-so has all that stuff. They're they're so blessed. Or maybe you think about it in terms of when somebody sneezes. Bless you, right? That's commonly the way that we use that word. The first few lines of the Sermon on the Mount are 
frequently referred to as the Beatitudes because the Latin word for blessed is beatus. So the Beatitudes are statements of blessing. But what does that mean? In the Bible, in a literal sense, blessed just really means approved of or highly favored. Some of you might remember or recall the moment when Mary, the Virgin Mary, was visited by the angel telling her she was going to have baby Jesus. And the angel tells her uh, that she is somebody who has found favor with God. And then she goes and visits her relative Elizabeth who says to her, blessed are you among women. So those things are kind of interchangeable. Blessed are you, you have found favor with God. So blessed is like approved of highly favored. When God blesses us, he's approving of us. He's showing us his favor. And when we bless God, we just sang a song that was, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So when we bless God, we're saying, God, we approve of you. We see you as being highly favored in our eyes, which is all really good for definition's sake. But the way that Jesus is using this here and the way that this becomes something that's so countercultural and flipped is because he's addressing a basic question that pretty much haunts all of humanity. The question being, who has the good life? Who do you really think is well off in this world? You ever ask somebody, how are you doing? And they respond by saying, man, I'm living the dream. You ever hear anybody say that? Somewhat common expression today. Living the dream, baby. What's implied by that? Well, maybe... Man, I'm running fast and free. I'm making deals. I'm raking in the bucks. I'm driving in my sweet ride. I'm taking my family somewhere warm and expensive for spring break. My skin is smooth. My abs are tight. My teeth are white. My hair is highlighted. My accessories sparkle. I'm living the dream, baby, right? You know, that's kind of the impression that somebody's trying to give off with that statement. I've got the good life. I'm well off. I'm living the dream. That phrase can also be used pretty sarcastically as well. I have a a morning ritual on cold winter days with my next door neighbor Jim, such as when it snowed a massive amount and it was well below zero just a few weeks ago. We did our usual morning ritual as we're clearing our driveways from snow. Morning, Jim. How you doing? And he says to me, living the dream, Matthew. Just another day in paradise. You know, that's that's our morning ritual. Totally sarcastic. Now, remember, remember who's in the crowd that Jesus is talking to. I think these are the kind of folks that would have resonated with the total sarcastic thing. I really do. Because you got to remember who was there. This is what we read. The ill, those with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. Jesus comes to them, and the first words out of his mouth when he sits down, this ragtag group of people is, Blessed. You're living the dream. (laughs) And they're probably thinking, "Uh, not me. Certainly not. I'm not well off. I don't have the good life. But then Jesus just takes that and flips it. He turns it on its head and he says, no. He says right to them, no, you guys are. You're living the good life. You know who's living the good life? Jesus says the poor in spirit are. The poor in spirit have the good life. The poor in spirit are well off. The poor in spirit, you're living the dream. Now, you probably already know this, but it's not especially a good thing 
to be poor in spirit. It wasn't in Jesus' day. To grasp what Jesus is saying, you might try the phrase, blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, the people who know nothing about the Bible, people who can't make heads or tails of God, people who would throw up if you asked them to pray out loud in public, people who think the roof would collapse on them if they showed up at church one Sunday, people who think that they spiritually have nothing to offer. Blessed, Jesus says. You're living the dream, baby. Why? Well, it's not because they're poor in spirit. That's not necessarily a good thing, but it's because now through Jesus being the kingdom bringer, up there has come down here, and now all of God, all of his power, all of his grace, all of his goodness is completely available to people who maybe previously thought, this can't possibly be for me. That's Jesus' message, and man, that's flipped. Forgiveness, grace, healing, joy, all of that stuff's now available for you. It no longer matters what the world says about you. I like how Dallas Willard expresses this. He says, those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus, not because they're in a meritorious condition, but precisely because in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of the heavens has moved redemptively upon them and through them by the grace of Christ. It's flipped. So who would the world say is living the good life? Well, probably the the rich, the talented, the slender, the athletic, the physically healthy and pain-free, the handsome, the lovely, the social media darlings, the Ivy League educated, the VIPs, the CEOs, the PhDs, and on and on and on. That, that That might be who the world says is living the good life. And when we hear a list like that, or that the people in Jesus' original audience Some of us might think, well, I'm not on that list. I'm not eligible for the good life. I'm missing out. And Jesus comes to earth, and he brings up there, down here, and he says, no way, guys, the world has it wrong. Jesus' message to you today is, man, if you're somebody who's poor in spirit, even if you've never reached out to God for anything before, even if you don't get God and how to relate to him, Even if you've set records for being more irreligious than anybody ever before, you're still living the dream, baby. Because up there has come down here and because it's all available to you, not one of the conditions listed in these beatitudes or these statements of blessing from Jesus are thought of by our world as tickets to the good life. And that's precisely why Jesus mentions them. No human condition is excluded from the good life. No, ex- no human condition is excluded from Jesus' blessing now that he's in the equation and is brought up here, up there, down here to you. Sort of like what Jesus says next, the, the fourth verse of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn have the good life. My in-laws are here this weekend. They live in Indiana in the eastern time zone. And my father-in-law, Glenn, over dinner last night was mourning his loss of hours on his trip here to his grandchildren. He was explaining to them, I live in the eastern time zone, and when I drove here on Friday, I lost an hour. And now with the time change on Saturday, I'm losing another hour. And when I drive back home to the eastern time zone tomorrow, I'm going to lose yet another hour. Morning, 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 right? Glenn will be here second service this morning, and I'll tell him this in person, but Glenn's still living the dream. 
even though he mourns. On a more serious note, so are those who've lost a spouse. So are those whose spouses deserted them. So are those who've lost their jobs. So are those who feel like they've been horrible parents. So are those who wish that they could be parents. So are those who miss somebody so acutely they ache. So are those who this morning are clinically depressed. Why? Because it's such a good thing to feel that way? No, hardly. But rather because Jesus says, if you're mourning, you come into my kingdom too. This is totally available to you. If you're deeply mourning, or if you have ever deeply mourned, maybe you've heard some people say some things to you that weren't especially helpful. I've been in seasons of mourning, and I I know people mean well, and you probably know that as well if you've heard some of these things as well, but maybe you've heard people say, be strong. I know you hurt now, but it just takes time. Time heals all wounds. I know just how you feel, or this really is God's will. Or maybe somebody's said something to you like, you'll have more children, or she's not suffering anymore, or he's better off now, or (laughs) worse yet, God just needed her more. Jesus says something really different to people who mourn. And I kind of like what Jesus has to say, to be honest with you. Ready for what he says when we mourn? Blessed. In God's favor. Smiled on by God. Approved of by God. Highly favored by him are you. Right in the midst of your mourning. While you're grieving... While you're aching intensely, while you feel like crud, you're living the good life. Because my kingdom's come down here for you, and this is completely available to you. And Jesus says, those who mourn will be comforted. And if you mourn today, here's the promise of Jesus for you. You're not forgotten. Your mourning isn't being overlooked. You're definitely not out of God's favor. You are highly favored. You're blessed, blessed, blessed right in the middle of your mourning. And everything that God has available for everybody is still available to you, even though you don't feel that great. You're blessed. No human condition is excluded from blessedness now that Jesus has brought, has taken up there and brought it down here, including meekness. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek have the good life too. I don't think anybody but Jesus ever put the meek on the fast track for the good life. I have seen a lot of resumes through the years and I have never seen somebody list meekness on their resume. I don't go to a lot of dating websites, but my guess is you wouldn't find that word very often there as well. Hey, a meek. Try me, you know. Essentially what Jesus is saying, blessed are the stepped on. Blessed are those who don't fight for their own way. Blessed are those who get pushed around and shoved around by the world. Blessed are those who always seem to give others the right of way. Think of a yield sign. Like at a yield sign, you give someone else the right of way. You let them pass by rather than going first. You say, you go ahead. That, that's, that's the idea that Jesus has of, of the meek here. They're the people who... Maybe because they don't even have the power to say anything different. You go ahead. And they've lived that way their whole lives. That's the meek. And Jesus says, blessed, highly favored, smiled upon, 
loved by God, are the meek, because they're going to, they're going to inherit the earth. That flips so much of what we ordinarily think. Boy, it's the strong who survive, right? They're the ones who take charge and like have ownership of, of the world, of the world of the earth. Some of you might remember a basketball player by the name of Shaquille O'Neal back in the day, seven foot two, 345 pounds, won four NBA championships. He got more and more tattoos as his NBA career went on. And finally, at one point in his very, very productive NBA career, he got a tattoo that said TWISM, short for the world is mine. And, and why wouldn't he think that? I mean, that's a guy large and in charge, right? Four-time champion, huge dude on top of the world. Jesus says, it isn't necessarily those that you'd think own the world that really do. It's the meek, those who yield to others. Get this, the ones who most often feel like the world has been taken from them. Jesus says, you're going to inherit the earth. Upside down. Not because being stepped on is good, but again, because up there has come down here and if you're somebody who's been stepped on, passed by, marginalized, pushed aside, always giving other people the right away, and you've never gotten your comeuppance, Jesus says you're still on God's radar. You absolutely have his favor. You're not a loser. You're a champion. Because when you know me, Jesus says, and the kingdom comes into your life, so many of the ordinary things in this world, they just get turned on their head. They flip. So I hope by now that you're kind of beginning to see that the answer to the question that the word blessed brings up, uh, it really does have a pretty good answer. Who has the good life? Jesus flips that upside down with his answer, and he says, you know what? It's anybody who's alive in the kingdom of God. Anyone who's alive in the kingdom of God is living the good life. They're the ones who are well off. They're the ones who are living the dream. I want to quote Dallas Willard here again. In in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he gives some pretty contemporary expression to this. If we ask the question, who's living the good life? Um, This is from his section where he talks about the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, it's the unblessed and the unblessable, the physically repulsive, the bald, the fat, the old, the flunkouts, the dropouts, the burnouts, the broke and the broken, the drug heads, the divorced, the HIV positive, the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Highly favored are you. Live in the dream. Having the good life. That's you. No matter where you are or where you've been, Jesus, when he brings up there, down here, he says to you, if you want to enter in this, blessed, blessed, blessed are you. Turned upside down are the values of the world in you. Highly favored are you when you enter in. So this week here, when you take notice of some of your own unblessable traits, Maybe have this refrain go through your mind. 
take a quick moment and just whisper to yourself, I have the good life. Live in the dream. I'm blessed. Just try that this week. When you have one of those unblessable moments, when you feel like you're just... God just has to put up with you in spite of yourself, right? If you have a moment like that, no? I'm blessed. I have the good life. Jesus says I'm living the dream. And beyond that, this week maybe when you encounter somebody that the world would not necessarily think has the good life. Maybe think about how you could even bless them because you've been blessed. Some of you know our acronym. B, begin with prayer. L, then listen to them. E, maybe offer to sit down and eat with them. S, find a way to to serve them in some way that would really be a blessing to them. And then the final S, when the time is right, share your story of what Jesus has done in you and how he allowed you to enter his kingdom and how he calls you blessed. And let them know, let them know that God says they're blessed too. They have the good life too. Because Jesus has brought it down here to them if they want to enter in too. Let's just take a second and pray. Would you, would you bow your head with me? Oh, Jesus, thank you for your words to us. Thank you that you set us straight because we far too often are, are ready to just take at face value the things we hear around us. Thank you for calling us blessed. It's pretty mind-blowing. Just how deeply you make the kingdom available to all of us and thank you for it. We need more of you. Open our hearts wide to you. And you tell us to pray in your name, so we do. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at www.ccch.org. And please come and see us this weekend.